Hi guys, good evening. Good afternoon, rather. <sighs> job one. Summary of job one. This book is heavy. <laughs> like, it's so heavy, and I'm just asking God for grace for the next 42 chapters. That He will give us the grace to finish, not just finish. Lambano on the graces, on the graces that are available in the scriptures. That it will come alive as flesh. Because I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. It was just like God was saying, guys, I'm offering this and more. And for as many that will lay hold on it, it would, it would be amplified by the winds of grace. And so many things stood out but i i just want to quickly flash our mind back to something before i kind of give like a summary of what um we had to do remember at the beginning of the year when we were praying into the year and we said um god was saying it was the building year it was the year of light it was the year where um righteousness would, would literally be your level of promotion if that makes sense like um he that has a clean hands and pure heart he would exalt to his holy hills and his holy place. And so, you know, God was not saying that throughout the year, he would be showing us how this righteousness come into play and how he expects us to posture as women of his presence and how to carry his presence and be able to manifest that light wherever we go so that in different spheres of influence, he, he promotes us at different spheres. And so, I think another reason why he was highlighting Esther and Job was the fact that these guys were able to walk in the reality of his word and for example job for instance it's so clear very clear that the criteria in psalm 24 job was able to actually walk like break down the process of that scripture and he was able to bring it to life and that was why in job 1 he was saying blamelessness um, blame, being blameless rather uprightness and having the fear of the Lord and shunning evil are what makes up you being able to have the right standing with God you know working out what the righteousness has imputed in you and he was saying that when these three are in place fruitfulness has to happen it's not you know blessing has to happen um, um, because these three causes define success it causes our influence to be spread abroad by the winds of the spirit and that's why they said Job was the greatest of all the people of the east that's an influence that only divine God's grace can spread and it's as a result of your, your, your working out of the righteousness imputed on, by God in you that is able when he sees when he sees his, you have a reverential fear of the Lord, when he sees that you're walking uprightly with him, when he sees that you're blameless, when he sees that you shun evil and you only love what he loves, he causes you to be fruitful. He causes you to walk in divine success and excellence. He causes your influence to be spread abroad. He causes you to be the greatest among the mist. And another part was that the fact that Job had to be an altar and sanctify his sons. That was like the order of Noah. And regularly, he would ask for mercy. And then God reminded me of the parable of the Pharisee in Luke 18, 9-14, of the tax collector and the Pharisee, and how 
the Pharisee was saying, oh, he knows he's the Holy One, he's the righteous one. And the tax collector was like, God, I'm a sinner. And God said he was more justified than the tax um, than the Pharisee. And he now said in his word that, that those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Remember, we also spoke about the fact that in this season, that God is exalting the humble, those that honor him, those that fear him, those that humble before him, those that do not um, are not haunty or thinking self-lofty, but that would literally humble themselves and call upon his name. He would exalt in this season. And he was saying that this was also part of the things that was for Job. Job was, he was humble. He, regardless of how, how justified he could be, he kept going daily, regularly to sanctify his family. And God was like, favor, this is humility. It takes... It takes humility, the spirit of humility, for a really great man to humble themselves and need God. And in First Peter five eight, it says, "Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour." So, <laughs> this was aligning with the scripture. That says, so he answered the Lord. You know, when the devil was um, prowling to and fro, and then God said, what are you doing? And said, he was going to and fro from the earth, walking back and forth. And God was telling me that, guys, do you know that we are never a constitution for the devil when he finds us as a light? God said, because in John 1, 5, it says, darkness cannot comprehend light. It can, it's, darkness is unreceptive to light, according to Amplified. It cannot comprehend light. So, the reason why God had to say, have you considered my servant Job, was because the devil could not consider light because that is darkness, so he can't comprehend light. He is unreceptive to light. He cannot stand where light is except with the permission of God. And so God was saying, the moment the devil finds something of his in you, he's able to come to you and, you know, work his magic. However, when there is light in you and darkness cannot be found, darkness cannot come close to you because it's unreceptive. It can't comprehend it. It cannot overcome it. Darkness, darkness is scared of light. And then God was then like, that's why he said in John 8, 12, that he's the light of the world. And so until we come to the reality of us being light, would always have that session of the devil coming to tempt, coming to do this, coming to do that, coming to do this. And the thing is, when we are on, like when we are so um, determined in our spirit to be light and we start to express that light, the devil comes so close, but the moment he smells the resolve, he has to flee because he can't stand light. He can't stand it. And that's why in Psalm 34 verse 7, it says the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them and so that's why god was saying us that let our doing be from a place of being he said favor let your doing be from a place of being do not do until you are and when you even are doing it's until i instruct you to do before you do then become but usually you should flow from a place of being so he was saying like forever don't study the word of god to teach study don't study to know study to leave i think i was trying to was it grace i was telling earlier in the day she was saying um when she was also confirming the fact that we would work with job you know from now until you know as god leads us and i was saying something i said 
at one point i wanted to be like god maybe we shouldn't um maybe we shouldn't maybe we shouldn't study the word and i was not saying that because i didn't want to study i was going to study anyway um i was saying it because um i was like maybe maybe it could be a season of prayer maybe everybody just wants us to pray maybe we should take a bit let people reflect and let not be like well like on a ghost chase or something god said no he said <laughs> Said me what the word is a necessity. He said he now told me he took me to the book of Psalm 119, verse 129 to 133. And he says, The entrance of the of God's word gives light. It says, You guys cannot be light without my word. It says, You guys cannot live without my word. All these levels of becoming cannot cannot manifest without my word, without the entrance of my word. And, and that's why, you know, it says your marvelous words are like living miracles. We cannot experience the miracle of life, the true life, if we do not experience the entrance of the word of God. And so that's why we must hunger to, you know, hear the word, to receive the word, to read the word. Because that's the first encounter we have with God. And then in verses 1-3, he says... Direct my steps by your word. And God says that another reason why you have to study the word is that direction flows from my word. I give direction via the utterance of my word. And so the moment you come in contact with it, you know, you don't only receive light and understanding, you also receive direction and clarity. And iniquity becomes under your feet. What he's trying to say is that no iniquity has dominion over you. And so he was telling me, favor, the word is a necessity. And so whilst it might feel like it's too much or it's not too much, it's a necessity. Just like the way you have to eat food and drink water. That is how much you have to read the word. And so I just thought to share that because it was an interaction I had with God yesterday and early hours of the morning. And so he was like, no, you guys are pushing for it and you guys are going to read it. And I said, okay, Lord, and I just aligned, really. And so, you know, and you know, one thing about God's alignment, it's, it will con- he will confirm his word over and over again. Because I remember yesterday when Amarachi said, she also heard the song, Even If He Slayed Me. For me, God was just like, okay, send it now. And I just obeyed, you know. So I just believe that um, God knows what he's doing because, uh, let me just try and wrap up um, Job 1 song quickly. Um, also, another thing that stood out was God was asking, why do I worship? You know, that could also be for you. Why do you worship? And God said, Favor, why do you worship me? Because, you know, the devil was saying that, you know, Job, Job obviously was serving God because of something, all the things he had given him. And you know, that's why God was saying, let, you, let my doing be from a place of being. And let my intent posit my action, not the other way around. So everything I'm doing should flow out of a bigger reason of why I'm doing it. Of like, what, what is the reason behind what I do for God? You know, and you know, in um, Job 29 verse 4, um, there's something that says, um, in my prime and beyond, all I seek and why I seek God is, um, Job said he called God for his, he missed, he missed, um, he missed how in his prime he would seek intimate friendship with God. You know, he, he said he missed when God watched over him. Oh, God, 29 is beautiful. But, yeah, not to take us too, you know, far ahead. But, yeah, 
with the point was just God trying to say that um, we must take it from a place of intimacy. That's why I said you cannot read the word of God to teach or to know. You read the word of God. You sorry, you can read it to know actually. You can't read it to teach. You read it to live. Like God was like, until that word becomes rema reality in your life, really, you've not started. And he was also saying that um, I've been reading about angels. I believe that God was trying to say that um, people who start experiencing the ministry of angels. And he was also saying that people should not be expecting white wings and it could happen. But he was just saying that um, the ministry of angels could be encamped in the midst of men. So you don't know one man, like just sometimes, let me give you a very random example. You just literally see one guy like that. He helps you out and then the next minute you don't see him again. That's an angel, really. It can be as dramatic as that. It might not be that. Sometimes you, so he was just saying that, just be sensitive in this season. Um, quickly moving on, Malachi three thirteen to 18. Still on the same Job one, um, God God was opening my eyes to see that Israel spoke arrogantly against God, saying it was fertile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out His requirement and going about like mourners before God? He answered, and Israelites were not saying, but they call arrogant people blessed, and even evil people are progressing, and they get away with whatever they do to God. And God now spoke about the faithful remnants. I don't know if that's the first time you're hearing the word of the remnants of God. But yes, we are the remnants of God. We are the remnant generation. We are the finishing generation to the remnants. And God now said in Malachi, it was one of my favorite scriptures, 316. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, just like we're doing right now. And the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. And God said we are his treasured possession. And he says he will spare us just like the father with compassion who spares the son that serves him. And he says we will then see the distinction between those who serve God and those who do not. You know, the people will be like, oh, why is it that we get a prospering? Why is it that those people get away with whatever they do? Why is it that all those why, 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 why? And God was just answering it there, right there. And why he actually led me to that was not even for that. I just said that's it on the side. Because I know some people always have that question, now, why is that these people prosper? And God is like... Trust me, guys, I'm saving you all for, as the faithful remnants. Cause, and that's why I say you don't be weary in well-doing because it's those that last to the end that receive the reaping of it thereof. Just like the, unf- the unfaithful servant, the one that hid the talent, he did not receive anything because he, he did not wait to the end. So we must, you know, not look back in what we've started. And I believe God is also starting to say that at the beginning of this chapter because it's, it's going to be a long read, but he's saying we should dedicate because I feel like a lot of things are going to be drawn from it. We are, ex- we are going to really ex- ex- um, experience encounters, strange encounters, as well as there's going to be a life transfer of the word of God literally in our life. And we'll start to see the reality of the word of God come to life in this season and beyond. And then lastly, um, see lastly now, yeah, but somewhere on the last page already, um, blessings and increase, obviously, I think I spoke about it. It's also part of what comes with serving God faithfully. Because, you know, when he was um, about to be stripped, you know, they first talked about how blessed, you know, Job was. And then before they now, God now said, you know, devil now asked the question. Now. He, he said, no, he told him he's serving because of this and this. And God then asked me a question, why do you serve me? And so he was now opening the layers of um, serve me because of intimate relationship. One, serve me to, to live, not to teach. Serve me to live, not to do, but from a place of being. Then after that, he now said, if you also want to know the benefits of serving me, what that what that does, and then he now opened up and said, a book of remembrance is open to those. They are the faithful remnant, the ones that will spare at the end of the day, like a compassionate father that spares his son that serves him well. 
And so that's what God was saying. He was saying that my word will not fall to the ground, so you can hold me on to this. So, you know, sometimes when you're serving God and you're feeling weary, hold God to these promises. And I believe that's why he's also bringing into life. So that in those times you say, God, you said this, you said that. Give me strength to keep serving you faithfully, intentionally, and all that. So moving on, um, it's also talking about the cause that increase comes to serving God faithfully. Then God now said, when all is stripped away, would we be found wanting or not? When all is stripped away faithful, would I be found wanting or not? What will be my first posture in the face of adversity? What will be my first response to it? When chaos strikes, what will be my first response? When calamity or the arrows of calamity strikes, what will be my defense? And in Job 7, 6, you know, the moment they, they lost the battle, Job, you know, really tore his tunic and sat on the floor and said, God, God, in sackcloth, even Mordecai did the same thing when we read in Esther, and um, when you open yourself, and even David did that when he also um, sinned before God with Bethsheba. And every time anyone does that opening of bearing themselves out, it's a sign of total surrender of God, God, I'm all yours. God, teach me. God, what am I doing next? It's, it's, a, it's a form of total surrender. It's like literally when in an army where literally they dropped all their weapons and surrendered. That is the sign of total surrender. And so God was saying, when calamity strikes, what's your first response? Is it surrender to God or is it warring at the wars with our naked eyes? That is, unseen battles of the spirit realm, do we fight them with just mere words or do we surrender to God and take direction? And then the second thing I was also saying was that in First Peter 5, 6, 7, it says, Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Then that same scripture says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares. Then it now says, Be alert and sober. Devil rose like a praying lion. Then ten days after you suffered a while, God will restore and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Because to him be all the power forever. Amen. And then God was not trying to link the scriptures for me. You know the way how everything scattered for Job. God now said, can you worship in the face of adversity? And then God told me, worship is a defense. Because, you know, Job, after everything that happened, Job fell on his face, tore his clothes. That was the sign of total surrender. And worshipped God. He said his children just died. His house is this. The cattle are done. The this is that. And it was calamity upon calamity. And the moment everything was done, he broke, he tore his clothes, and the next thing was to worship God. And God said, what is your worship? And God was saying, worship is spirit and truth. John 4, 24. And he was saying, God, I need you. I trust you in this, even when I don't understand it. Worship is when it's out of your revelation of him and the sincerity of you laying all your cards down when everything is turbulent. It is you casting your anxiety on him because you know he cares. So there's a difference between knowing God cares and knowing he cares. Knowing he cares in the sense of you've had a revelation of the fact that God is a caring father. He cannot leave you nor forsake you even in times of adversity. And so God was not saying, can I bless God in the face of challenges and calamity? And so I was like, God, help me to choose worship. Help us to choose worship even in the storm. And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. And God then took me back to that scripture he brought alive in First Peter 5, 6 to 8, when he says, humble yourself um, under God's mighty hand. He will lift you up in due time. Meaning that sorrow may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But then, now, he now says, cast your anxiety on him because he cares. Now, because God cares, meaning he will lift you up in due time. 
Now, he was not telling tell me that. But after that, he now said, be alert and sober. So, in anxiety, men's posture is usually to panic. And that now helps us to remove being alert and affects us for us to sin or cause God or do something against the workings of God. And God is now saying, that's why in anxiety, what you should do is to cast it upon me, understand I care, do not doubt it, then be alert. He has already assured you before he even said, cast your burden, I will restore in due time. And because I will restore in due time, every burden, every calamity that you think is just happening, you don't understand it, put it on me. Put it on me with the understanding that I care for you. And because I care for you, I will restore in due time. But whilst you are waiting upon me and you are casting upon me your burdens and you are in that waiting season of my restoration or my instruction for your deliverance, be alert. And God was saying, Job understood the art of war. And so when the calamity was happening, all he had to do was worship. And why he did that was because he could not deafen his sensitivity to the calamity. Because at that point in time, he would have succumbed to death. And that's why he said, God, and in all this, Job did not sin. Neither did he charge God. So he judged God faithful. That means he rested upon that word that God cares. Do you believe God cares when things look wrong or seem to go bad? And God was saying, I need you to unveil that scripture. I need you to lambano on it. I need you to rest upon it and, and see me as a caring God. Like see God in that dimension of a caring father, a good shepherd. And God will say, until you see me as a caring father, when things go wrong, your first question will be, God, why? Instead of worship. And so God is like, Father, please help us to see you as a caring father. It's like when your parents shout at you, do you ever doubt their love? They are always working for your good. So God is like, until your subconscious, now your spirit knows it, but your mind has not really captured it. So your mind needs to capture the fact that God cares. So regardless, all things, according to Romans, must work together for your good because God cares. And when adversity strikes, the first response is to cast my anxiety upon him. But staying alert by worshipping, using my defense of worship as the instrument to keep being alert with the Father. Therefore, I'm in tune and not out of tune with the Father. And it was just it was just a beautiful scripture. Let me just stop here. Oh wow, it's long. Wow. God bless you guys.